Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. How you doing? How you holding up? What's going on with you? By the way, I'm asking, if you want to tell me, go to hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. There's a contact button there. And feel free to let me know. I mean, this comes to me. It's under the About tab. If you go out there where it says About at the top and there's a contact thing this is contact peter send peter an email fill it out i don't have this massive staff i mean we're a mom and pop mostly pop <laughs> and gracie will join me uh, as she gets a little bit better and start being more engaged in everything we're doing but we got to give her a little bit of a break right now she's having some difficult days uh, but i do want to hear how you're doing i want to hear what's going on with you and If you want to also share how this show is helping you or what I can do more, what I can talk about more. If you got something you really want me to address, I don't have the answers, but I'll certainly broach the subject and we'll have a conversation about that and talk about it. And I'll share with you things that I've learned, things that I've experienced. I, for those of you who are new to the program, I avoid my opinion as much as possible. I really do. And I'll tell you why, because my opinion is irrelevant it's bupkis. It's, there's, there's nothing to it. It's just what I think. What I know, what I've experienced, however, is not irrelevant. And when you've been doing this as long as I have, you learn some things. Most of it, you know, through trial and error and painful examples and teachable moments that were less than enjoyable, but you still learn it. And the learning curve for Caregivers is, is pretty steep, I have found. And so I'm asking you, do you want to have a long learning curve on this where you're going to have to forage and figure this out? Or do you want to listen to somebody who's been there, somebody who is there, somebody who's been doing this for a long time? And that's why I do this program, because I didn't have this. You understand, I didn't, I didn't have all this while I was a young man trying to figure out all these things going on and what was happening to me. Nobody really knew what to say to me. Nobody knew how to say it to me. Nobody, they, people would give me scriptures and they would say wise and wonderful things, but it didn't penetrate down to where I lived as a caregiver. And to this day, people still do. I, I just talked about this on the program recently, and I put this out on the podcast, and I would highly recommend you going out there to take a listen to it on a drive-by diagnosis. You know, people say, well, have you tried this? People bring their whiteboard out. Well, let's try it. Let's try that. What do you think about this? What do you th-? Well, that, that doesn't really work for me. I've stared at this mountain for a very long time. You've stared at your mountain for a long time. And so what we want to do is help chisel away the things that just don't need to be in the conversation and get down to the core issues. And what are the core issues? For caregivers, for caregivers, I have found invariably the core issues are fear, obligation, and guilt. Those are the core issues. Now, those tend to lead us into different areas. For example, fear can lead us into despair. Obligation leads us into resentment. 
Guilt leads us into overcompensating or shame or avoidance, all those kinds of things. But that fear, obligation, and guilt, that fog, if you will, of caregivers, that's what I call it, the fog of caregivers. And it disorients us. So even if somebody comes up with a great idea, I'm still in the middle of a fog as a caregiver. I need to get out of this fog or learn how to better navigate in this fog. Sometimes it can be a perpetual fog. And you still don't know, you know, kind of where you're going. You have to just go at just tiny, tiny steps. Mile marker to mile marker kind of thing. And you have to put your lights on low beam. Because if you try to see a fog, in a fog with high beam lights in your car, for example, what's going to happen? Well, it's going to shine back at you. So you can't look too far down the road. You're going to have to deal with today. Now, if there was only a book that talked about dealing with today. Oh, wait a minute. There is. The scriptures talk about this repeatedly over and over and over. About dealing with today. This is the day that the Lord hath made. The scriptures talk about give us this day our daily bread. Jesus said, consider the birds of the air, the lilies of the field. Solomon, dressed in royal robes, had not the wealth of them. Do you not think your father cares about you? We're going to deal with today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Now, that doesn't mean that we throw off anything. For example, there was an agricultural society back in those days. I mean, people planted and they know that you have to plant, you have to think ahead. That's not what it means. We we tend to strive about tomorrow. And that's where that fear often sends us into striving. So these are the issues that we face as caregivers. And so what happens is, is that we allow this to, to cloud our thinking, and then we run off down some trail thinking, well, this makes sense. Or somebody comes up to you, well, have you tried this? Have you done this? You you follow me? And so what I want to do on this program is let's, let's just settle down for a moment. Let's stop for a moment. Let's just catch our breath. And let's think through this. Where are we? What's going on with us? Are you afraid? Well, what do you do with that fear? What may happen? You may run out of money. Well, yeah, you might. Been there, done that. Your loved one is facing something very serious and it could cost them their life. Yeah, that could happen. Been there, done that. You feel guilty over something that you've done or that you didn't do or you can do and they can't do. Yeah. Been there, done that. You feel obligated. You just, just, oh, I got to do this. I must do this. I have to do this. I should be doing this. Yeah, been there, done that too. Okay. So what do you do with it? Well, here's what I've done with it. Because I faced all those things and then some. And I've learned that fear doesn't help me at all. And there are things that are frightening that I have to deal with. But I also have a Savior who says, perfect love cast out fear. 
that God hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. You know, I don't have a sound mind when I'm striving. I don't have a sound mind when I'm despairing. I don't have a sound mind when I am freaking out because I'm so afraid. And I have been in those places, and they are very uncomfortable. So what did I do? I looked for solid ground. What solid ground? What does solid ground look like to you? You know, there are things that we deal with in our life that are extremely daunting. Then I go back to scriptures that say, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they're safe. Well, I'm not righteous, but my Savior is. And his righteousness was imputed to me. He, he gave me his righteousness. We talk about this a lot with the, the cross, that Jesus died for all of our sins. He died because of my sin. He paid the penalty for my sin, yes. What else did he do? Well, he lived a righteous life, perfect life. And his righteousness is accounted to me when I put my faith in him so that I then can run into that strong tower. I say, Lord, you're not doing this because of anything I've done, my merit, but on the merit of your son. I'm asking you to calm my heart. I'm asking you to give me your peace, not because of anything I've done, but because of what you've done. And he says he will. Make your request known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's what that scripture means to us as caregivers, so that we can make our requests known, but we're going to calm down first and recognize that he is the author of all of our peace. That's hope for the caregiver. And this is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back. This is Abraham Hamilton III with AFR, and we're sending Bibles. Here's Michael with Bible League International. Abraham, I was in Tanzania, Africa recently, where I met 12-year-old Barack, who is an albino. If you suffer with albinism, you lack pigmentation in your skin, hair, and eyes. And in this part of the world where witchcraft is so prominent, somebody like Barack is viewed as an evil spirit to be destroyed. On the way to school one day, witch doctors with a machete, they cut off his left arm, his right fingers, they took his teeth, they took his tongue, but they could not take his joy. Why, he is a born-again believer. The father left the home many years ago, but his mother Mary endeavored to raise him to know and love Jesus together. They have learned to forgive those that attack this boy. In fact, 150 have come to Christ, including those two witch doctors that at one time harmed him. Abraham, they are praying for Bibles in Tanzania, Africa, and that's why we're doing this kingdom business today. $5 sends a Bible. $100 sends 20 $500 sends 100 You can give by calling 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or visit SendBiblesNow.org. That's SendBiblesNow.org. I'm Peter Rosenberger, and this is your Caregiver Minute. Following my wife's 80th surgery last year, this one was on her right elbow, I wheeled her to the hospital elevator to take her home. With her arm in a sling and her two very cool-looking prosthetic legs clearly visible below her dress's hemline, she received a lot of stares from the elevator passengers. Annoyed with them for not even trying to hide it, I loudly proclaimed to the passengers, Worst hysterectomy ever! While Gracie's grown accustomed to my goofy sense of humor and just rolled her eyes, the passengers visibly flinched. As the doors opened, I wheeled her out and could resist a parting shot, yelling out, She put up a fight, God lover. Gracie and I both had a great laugh following what was a hard day, but we learned a long time ago to keep a sense of humor. As caregivers, there will be hilarious moments, even during difficult times. Try to keep a sense of humor. It helps. 
This has been your Caregiver Minute with Peter Rosenberger, brought to you by Standing with Hope. There's more information at standingwithhope.com. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. And please go out and take a moment to look at all the things that we have available to you. You know, our podcast, my Substack page, articles that I've written in various media outlets. All of this stuff is available to you. I hope you'll take advantage of it. Again, I didn't have anything like this as I foraged along as a caregiver. For decades, people struggle with knowing what to say to me. And if they did say something to me, oftentimes it was, you know, like a platitude or, or tried, or they would give scriptures and things, but it didn't penetrate down into my heart. I didn't connect what they're saying to what I was struggling with. How can this be? What are you, how does this work? What does this look like? So you'll hear me use descriptive terms like that often in this program. What does this look like for us to be able to do such and such? And as, as I said in the last block, we talked about fear and trusting God with this. Well, what does that look like? I take the stance that if you can't say it like you're saying it to a third grader, you probably don't know your subject matter well enough. And it's not that you're person you're talking to doesn't have the intellectual capacity to understand. They just don't have the framework. They don't have the insight or the knowledge base to understand it. So you have to be very detailed on what you're saying and why you're saying it and what does this look like and go ahead and assume the questions that they're going to ask. What does that even mean? You know, when you are learning to read up to third grade, I mean, you're, you're, you're reading, but it's when you get to third grade is when you start reading to learn and things change. You, you're, so you have to have discussions. I read with my grandson. We've been going through the Chronicles of Narnia. He is an excellent reader, but I'll stop him about every three or four sentences and ask him about what he just read to understand it. So when Edmund goes into the wardrobe and he's expecting something at the back of the wardrobe to be normal, like the back of a wardrobe. Instead, he comes up in a forest when there's snow and everything else. I stopped my grandson and I asked him, okay, well, imagine this. They live in Alabama. And I said, if you went into your closet and you came out your closet and you were here in Montana in the wintertime, he's been here in Montana in the wintertime. I said, what would that be like? And you could just see the wonder on his face as he started to connect the dots of what he just read to that picture I just gave him. And I think this is the responsibility we have when we're helping one another to make sure that we're saying this in a way that, that they can process and make, make sense out of, to give them a frame of reference. So many people would come up to me and say, well, just trust Jesus. Well, what does that look like for you to trust Jesus? I mean, honestly, I mean, think it through. We we say these things. We say these platitudes or we say these stock phrases that we have as Christians. You know, I, I told you this the other day on Twitter. Somebody posted out, Jesus is the answer. Well, what's the question? You know, that's the first thing I go to is let's, let's go a little deeper. Let's not be so trite. Let's be very specific 
and very intentional. How many of you all have a relationship, a deep friendship, a marriage, just close relationship that is haphazard? I would suggest none of you do. Because I don't think you can have a close relationship that is haphazard. It has to be intentional. You have to intentionally work at any relationship. And so why would we be haphazard when people are suffering or struggling or wrestling with very complex ideas about their life as a caregiver? They're, they're watching someone suffer and you parachute into their life and say, well, just trust Jesus. You know, you heard me a couple weeks ago talk about a drive-by diagnosis. And that's what happens. People roll the window down and, well, they don't roll the window down. They press a button and the window comes down. I'm showing my age now by showing that a window could roll down. There's a little handle there. You turn it. You crank the window down. But people would just lower the window and yell out, trust Jesus. I mean, that's basically what you're doing to someone instead of stopping and helping Instead of stopping and spending time with them, being intentional and saying, look, this is, this is crazy. This doesn't make sense. But here's what God says, and here's how this connects. And here's what the scriptures say. And that takes a, a good bit of time in the scriptures yourself. You can't just, you know, close your eyes and, and try to pin the tail on the donkey kind of thing. You can't just hopefully turn to scripture and, and stick your finger down on one page and that's the verse for you. You don't play scripture roulette like that. You be very intentional and you get to know people and you spend time in this world and that's what I've done. And I've, I've looked at this mountain. So when people come to me sometimes, well, have you tried this? Have you done this? And that's when I usually give them a stiff arm and say, look, I've been doing this a long time. I've looked at this mountain. That doesn't help me for me to have to explain to you all the scenarios that I've already gone through. If you're going to help me, give me something, point me to solid ground, someplace where I can rest and anchor myself. That's why I love these hymns, because the hymns are filled with what is called compact theology, and they take very deep theological principles and put them into this beautiful prose that's easy to remember and hopefully with a nice melody that's easy to remember to sing so you, it kind of comes to your mind. And and these are very, very difficult things that a lot of these hymn writers have come through. But when you read what they wrote and why they wrote it and how they wrote it, you know, and, and the story behind it, that's when it has this... I don't know what the word is, but it just transcends. It transcends everything, and it'll stick around for hundreds of years, and we'll still sing the same song. Again, I've played a lot of funerals in my life as a pianist, and rarely do people ask for anything other than the classic hymns. I've got to work on people because they keep asking for Amazing Grace, like that's the only hymn they know, which for many people it is. But there are a lot of great hymns out there that serve as a anchor point and would carry all the way to a funeral. But that's another conversation. The point is, is they've taken great theological truths and said them in a way that other people can wrap their minds around. 
sweet hour of prayer. You ever looked at the text of that that hymn? The guy that wrote it, William Walford, he was he ran a little shop in England, and he would sit there and carve little things out of bone, like shoehorns and you know other things like that. But he was blind. And so he would do all this by touch and by feel. And while he did this, he would commune with the Lord in prayers. As one historian said about him, he just prayed while he would carve things. And he had this amazing memory. He had memorized most of the Bible, so he was often called upon to speak. And he did. And he would share insights and things and scriptures and passages and things that he had studied on. One day he was talking to a pastor who came by his shop and they were just talking about prayer and he mentioned this verse that he had written on prayer and the pastor wrote it down for him and he recited it from memory because he does all this by memory and the pastor wrote it down for him and it became this song William Bradbury put the tune to it but sweet hour of prayer sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my father's throne make all my wants and wishes known in seasons of distress and grief my soul has often found relief and oft escaped the tempter's snare by thy return sweet hour of prayer and this of course became one of the most beloved hymns ever in the entire world and this guy that wrote it was blind And he would sit there and carve things by a little fireplace or a little chimney there in his shop. And he would pray. And he would meditate on the things of God. And if people read to him, he could memorize what they said. And he would study on it. Listen to this verse from it. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. Thy wings shall my petition bear. To him whose truth and faithfulness. Engage the waiting soul to bless. And since he bids me seek his face, believe his word, and trust his grace, I'll cast on him my every care and wait for thee, sweet hour of prayer. That's extraordinary. You could unpack the message of that verse alone for you know a couple of sermons that would speak to, to everyone. And since he bids me seek his face, since he bids me believe his word and trust his grace, then I'll do it. I'll cast on him my every care. He asks us to. And since he asks us to, are we doing it? And what does that mean for us? And it means sometimes learning to be still. This guy was blind. And this is what he created. This is the prose that he created. This is the compact theology that he did and left for the world. What a legacy. I performed this on my CD, Songs for the Caregiver, and with your indulgence, I'd like to finish this segment with this arrangement of it. And since he bids me seek his face, believe his word and trust his grace, I'll cast on him my every care and wait for the sweet hour of prayer. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be back after this.
as I say so repeatedly, the man, the word of God is so rich. You read something, you read something, you've read it before, and then one time you read it and BAM! Something comes out like a sugar ray Linda jabs. Right in the eyes. Whoa, Lord, where I didn't where did that, where did that come from? <laughs> The Hamilton Quarter with Abraham Hamilton III, weekday afternoons at 5 Central on American Family Radio, or grab the podcast at AFR.net. Hey, did you hear? MoneyWise is different. It's now Faith and Finance with Rob West. Don't worry, Rob will still help build your faith while giving biblical advice about your finances. It's just a different name. From a diversification perspective, I like uh, properly diversified stock and bond portfolio, especially given where the market is right now. Faith and Finance with Rob West. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Central on AFR or catch the podcast at AFR.net. Here's Dr. Al Mohler from the American Family Studios documentary, The God Who Speaks. I think one of the most interesting realizations from reading the Gospels is that this was a question, can the authority of Christ be pitted against the authority of scriptures? That that was a question that was present in the Gospels and to which Jesus decisively answered, most importantly in the Sermon on the Mount where he made very clear, not one jot, not one tittle of of the word will pass away until all is fulfilled. Do not think, he said, that I have come to abolish the law, but rather to fulfill it. So it's really interesting if we ask that question, well, here's Christ himself saying, I didn't come to, uh, to in any way subvert the scripture, I came to fulfill the scripture. I came in order that the scriptures may be fulfilled. Visit thegodwhospeaks.org. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. By the way, if you don't get a regular email from us, I send them out about once a week or so. I'll send out this program as a podcast. I'll send out uh, little excerpts from my book, A Minute for Caregivers, When Every Day Feels Like Monday. And I will put those out that I read and they're just a little one-minute spot and I, and other things that I do as well. So feel free to go out to our website, hopeforthecaregiver.com, and you can sign up for our email list or you can see it at standingwithhope.com, which is the parent company of everything we do. That is the the ministry that Gracie and I founded, Standing with Hope. We have two program areas. We have the prosthetic limb outreach that we do in Ghana. We've been doing this since 2005. And then we do this program, this caregiver outreach. It's for the wounded and those who care for them. So check it out at standingwithhope.com. All right, let me switch gears a little bit. I want to tell you something I came across in the American Medical Association Journal, an article about these six physician specialties have the most burnout, okay? These six physician specialties have the most burnout. Now, why am I talking about this? Well, how many of you all interact with physicians? Okay, (laughs) well, my point now. Here they are. Emergency medicine, 62%. Hospital medicine, 59%. Family medicine, 58%. Pediatrics, 55%, OBGYNs, 54%, and internal medicine, 52%. Now, I ask you, 
what do those things have in common for the most part? All of those things. They actually have several things in common. One of them is they're going to intersect us as caregivers. How many of you all go to the emergency room? We're, we're there, you know, fairly regularly. How many of you all have a primary care doctor, internal medicine doctor, family doctor? How many of you all, special needs children, have a pediatric doctor? How many of you all regularly see your OBGYN? Most of these people are primary care related physicians, the ones that we as caregivers are going to intersect the most with, and yet they have the highest burnout of all physicians. I mean, Gracie has a neurosurgeon. She sees. She's got an orthosurgeon. She sees several. <laughs> and she's got GI folks that she sees. But she doesn't see these people on a regular basis. But all these others, she does. And sometimes it's the same person uh, for doing double duty on some things. But because we live in a rural area where we have a community hospital, which I love. I adore our little hospital out here. And I was speaking to someone the other day from D.C. They were writing a, a piece on this, and they wanted to ask me what I thought of rural community health. And my opinion, this is just an aside. I'll get back to the doctors here in a moment. My opinion, which I don't try to give very often, but she asked my opinion, is that we have done a terrible disservice to our local community hospitals. They are not relegated as as important, as valuable. Some of them are getting eaten up by big corporations and then shut down. And I don't think we do enough for our community hospitals. And I have found in rural health that a lot of the doctors that are here will take on all kinds of extra duties. And that brings me back to this point that primary care doctors are getting burned out at an alarming rate. ER doctors, I mean, you can imagine that. ER is an incredibly stressful place to work. I get that. But primary care doctors are getting burned out. So what do we do about that? What does that how does that affect us as caregivers? Well, when you go see your primary care doctor and you have a special needs person in your life or somebody with a lot of medical issues, like I do, what should I do? How should I behave? Should that facilitate something different in me? I think it does. I think it does require something different in me. I think that I have a responsibility to Gracie's physician to be as helpful and as organized as I possibly can. Now, somebody said, well, that's not your job. Isn't it? And if I don't, what are the consequences? If I know that there's a burnout rate of over 50% and I'm going in there just dumping it on them? Am I being inconsiderate? You know, I think as Christians, we have a higher mandate of behavior that we can be considerate and kind, gracious. I mean, look at the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are all things that uh, there is no law against, (laughs) as, uh, as Paul would say. Just stepping outside of ourselves for a moment, think about the doctor that sees your loved one, that sees my loved one. You know, would that doctor not benefit greatly from seeing me come in with love and joy and peace and forbearance? (laughs) I like that word, forbearance. 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, would I not have a better chance of this meeting going smoother if I am exhibiting those things? And I'm not taking away Gracie's agency. I'm just talking about me personally because I'm there at most of these appointments. And, you know, if, if I'm showing up being a pain in the rear to deal with, how do you think that appointment's going to go? I get the phone calls from this doctor a lot because I'm first on the call and they'll call with me and go over stuff. And Gracie gives me permission to do so. And if I am coming across as, you know, hateful or mean-spirited or impatient or slothful, how do you think that's going to go? And if the statistics show that this doctor is already at risk for burnout just by the nature of the profession, according to the AMA, would it not serve me and the doctor better and Gracie, of course, better if I was considerate of that? Do you feel like you're considerate of your primary care doctor, of your physician, of your child's pediatrician? Do you feel that they feel you're those things? Have you ever checked with them? Have you ever said, you know, look, I want you to know how much I appreciate the extra time you put into this. A little appreciation goes a long ways. And it's okay to pull them aside and say, thank you. You know, I know we're paying them. That's their job. But they're putting in a lot of time for our loved ones because our loved ones require a lot of times. They're not profit centers for most doctors and medical facilities, even though the bills are astronomical. The comparative times that is spent usually eat up all the profits. And that's just that's just the way it is. I'm not here to debate the economics of the healthcare system of this country. I'm just simply saying, can we show appreciation? Can we be considerate? Can we show them what it looks like to have a Christ-centered caregiver? And how we are doing this as unto the Lord and exhibiting these things that are indicative of a Christian. You ever asked your doctor, is there anything specific I can pray for you? Not, not, don't, don't put them on the spot in the sense that you're doing this in a public forum. Just say, I'm leaving. As you're leaving, say, look, I want you to know how much I appreciate this. We pray for you. Is there anything specific that we can pray for you for? You know, that kind of stuff. I mean, it never hurts to ask. Just people want to be treated with kindness, and we're there a lot. And part of the journey of going through the things we go through as caregivers of someone with a chronic impairment is that we're going to be visible to all of the staff at a medical center, from the receptionist to the lab workers to, you know, name it. We're all, you know, we, we see them all, physical therapists, the pharmacist. These are people who have very important jobs and very high stressful jobs. I'm not discounting our stress. I'm not discounting our importance. I'm just simply acknowledging theirs. Do we show appreciation to them and thank them? Are we aware that they're human beings who have difficult things in their personal life and they have to put those on hold and deal with people's problems all day long and people's sicknesses all day long? Emergency room, 
I mean, I can't imagine the stress they have. Now, I've I've been in a situation where I've had emergency room doctors who were just wonderful, and I've had them that they were just jerks. And I remember I got really crossways with one of them, and he was a jerk. I was not in a good place. I'm embarrassed to say that. I mean, look, you can't deal with as many doctors as I've dealt with and not have your train wrecks, okay? You can't deal with as many nurses as, if we, as I've dealt with. And I've, I've gotten crossways with nurses at times. And I've l- tried to learn from that. I've tried to to deal with that, even if you have somebody who is acting inappropriately. Is there an opportunity to pull them aside and have a respectful conversation and rehabilitate this relationship? If there isn't, I understand. And sometimes you just have to just cut them loose. Sometimes people are going to be um, the wrong fit and they're going to be doing things that are just not acceptable. And I get that. Been there, done that. But there are other times when it can be rehabilitated. And in those moments, we serve ourselves and others and particularly our loved one well when we dig deep into the things of God and and we're able to express that character of Christ that would see beyond the tension, the acrimony, or any type of snarky behavior and just see the hurting soul behind those eyes. Now, we're not there to counsel them. We're not there to fix them. We're not there to do anything like that, but we can be kind. We can be kind. We can be gracious. Do we have a higher standard to live up to as Christians? I say we do. Now, do I model this perfectly? (laughs) Of course not. I mean, y'all know me. And I have, at any given point, really dropped this ball. But it doesn't mean that we don't keep aiming for that standard. And I would like to know that the, the medical people we interact with recognize that I recognize how much they put in to caring for Gracie. That they know that I am grateful for them they are at risk for burnout that's their own organization the ama saying that not me that's them saying it and they are at significant risk for this and yet i am dependent on these people making good judgment calls for my wife i'm dependent on their staff would it not serve everyone better if i recognized how difficult their life is and just treated them graciously like I want to be treated think about that we'll be back in just a moment this is Peter Rosenberger this is Hope for the Caregiver don't go away I'll never forget walking into the hospital room after Gracie had her second amputation both legs are gone now and she looked at me she said I know what I'm going to do and I was kind of startled I said well, what are you going to do She said, I'm going to help provide prosthetic limbs to my fellow amputees and tell them about Jesus. And I said, well, baby, can we get out of the hospital first? But she never let it go. And for almost 20 years, we've been working out of Ghana, West Africa. We treat patients all over there from other countries that come there. We send supplies. We send teams. We sponsor patients. We work with a prison where inmates volunteer to disassemble used prosthetic limbs so we can recycle the parts. All of this because Gracie trusted God with her heartache. We've got a huge shipment of supplies that is being loaded up right now to go out soon. Would you help us do it? Standingwithhope.com slash giving. Standingwithhope.com slash giving. There's prosthetic feet, knees, pylons, sleeves, adapters. 
all kinds of connectors. All of these things we are sending over there so that people can walk. We're going to point them to Christ. Help us out. Stadingwithhope.com slash giving. Our financial journey is one of the key ways that God shapes our spiritual journey. That's Rob West, and he knows just how finances affect our relationship with God. God has always been about our hearts and money issues are heart issues. But wait, there's more. In the Council of Scripture, we see 2,300 plus verses on this topic of money. And when you ask yourself why so much, I think what you'll become quickly realize is that money is often one of the primary competitors to Lordship. Rob is a nationally syndicated radio host and the CEO of Kingdom Advisors. And the AFA Cultural Institute brings Rob to you with seven checkpoints on the road to financial freedom. If you're looking for practical guidance to help you get your finances in order, you need this DVD. You can even order extras to share with family and friends. Get seven checkpoints on the road to financial freedom with Rob West when you visit resources.afa.net. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver, hopeforthecaregiver.com. I want to, while we're on the subject of doctors, I talked about this a long time ago and I've every now and then touched on it. So I'm going to revisit this because there are new people joining this audience all the time. And plus, this is a pretty good refresher when it comes to dealing with doctors. I have three P's, P as in Peter, three P's as we deal with doctors a lot because as caregivers, we're going to. And those three P's are real simple to remember. Number one is, and you might want to write this down. No, you don't have to write it down. You will be able to remember this. Be prepared. That's the first P. Be prepared. It's a business meeting. Treat it as such. Be appropriate for it. Be professional. Okay, this is still on number one P. Be prepared. So always be on time. That's part of being prepared. And come with a list of questions and concerns. No more than five. Three is usually the best number. And that does two things. Number one, it maximizes the appointment. But it also forces you as a caregiver and your loved one to, if they can, identify what is the biggest issue that we need to walk away with some direction on? What is the second biggest issue and what is the third? Once you have those things down cold, then you go in there and you get what you need out of the appointment. You are paying this physician for their expertise, whether it's refilling a script, checking out something that's going on, um, following up on something, whatever it is, but you don't want to, oh, I forgot about this kind of thing. Write it down. Be prepared. And that means you conduct this thing as a business meeting. You know what you want to get out of it. And always, always do this after every appointment. What's the next action step? What's the next action step? That's all part of being prepared. Okay? So that's the first B. How's that? That's pretty good, isn't it? Second one, be polite. Okay, that goes back to what we talked about, the less block. Just being gracious, be polite, but you're not subservient. 
Now, you may not know the science of your loved one, but you know your loved one. I have a Ph.D. in Gracie. I have a double Ph.D. in Gracie. I know Gracie. I don't know the science of all the things she goes through, but I know her. And I am a valuable member of this team. You could ask any of her doctors, and if they weren't constrained by HIPAA laws, they would tell you. But they find it helpful to deal with me when it comes to a lot of high-pressure situations, when we have to move quickly, when there are a lot of moving pieces going on. They engage me. They know that I can keep up, and I've had more than a few of them share with me that they are grateful that I can speak the language I can keep up. And I've learned that over the years. I've had to. Now, I didn't learn this in music school. (laughs) That's for darn sure. But I learned it. And I understand all the history that's involved with Gracie more than anybody else. I know her history. So I'm polite, but I'm not subservient. And I remember I told some of you may remember this story, but I had this one doctor who was really being quite rude. And he got some things wrong. And he wanted to come in there and chew on me a little bit, chew on us. And I never forget, I just looked at him and I wasn't being a jerk or anything, but I was being blunt and frank with him. I said, look, I've been taking care of her since you were in junior high school. So let's keep this in perspective. Okay. And, you know, he backed down from that. He recognized that I have what I like to call caregiver authority. And you do too, by the way. I don't know if you wield it. Now, that's the question. Do you wield caregiver authority? And wielding it takes self-control and discipline and graciousness and all that kind of stuff that we talked about in the last segment with the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Do you know the fruits of the Holy Spirit apply to us as caregivers? We're not exempt from those things simply because we're caregivers. And those things will come to bear in our life and, and, and have great benefit to us and others when they when they are manifest. But here's what it looks like. You can be polite. You can be gracious. You can be long-suffering. You can be all of those things, self-control, and still not back down and not be subservient in that regards, where you're just treated like a doormat and, well, I'm just stupid. He's the doctor. He's smart, and I'm not. I just need to shut up because I'm so stupid and he's so smart or yada, yada, yada. I mean, we've all heard this, okay? We've all felt this way. But just as an informal survey... How many of you all know that doctors make mistakes, that nurses make mistakes, that hospitals, physical therapists, lab work, all that are prone to human error? Well, of course they are. And it's going to happen. Billing offices make mistakes. Do you know that? Yes, of course you do. So what are we going to do when that happens? Are we going to be gracious? Are we going to be jerks? Are we going to be kind and considerate? Are we going to roll over? Are we going to be what? And I suggest to you that when mistakes are made, that we try with great self-control and discipline, but graciousness to get back up on the main road. Now, if a mistake is made where permanent damage is done and so forth, there are legal paths that you can take and you you deal with that with legal counsel. I'm just talking about in human interaction. Can we be polite without being subservient? And I suggest to you that not only can we, we must. 
because that benefits our loved one and everybody better. Remember, again, there are a lot of these people that we're dealing with who are at high risk for burnout. And the last thing that's going to help us or our loved one is when we come in there with guns a-blazing or we come in there slothfully or we come in there ill-prepared. And don't you don't you think that, that this whole thing is going to go smoother for you if your loved one's doctor knows that they can count on you to be professional, to be polite, to be appropriate, to be prepared? Okay? So that's the second P. So the first P is be prepared. The second P is be polite. And the third P is stay out of the pharmaceutical conversations as much as possible. You may not be able to at, you know, totally, but you can do it as much as possible. Because your opinion, unless you are a pharmacist or a trained medical doctor, your opinion is just that. It is your opinion, not your experience, not your training. And the words that we want to use as caregivers as much as we can is, in my experience, I have witnessed, I have seen, I recall that this happened. This is factual information that we have experience for. So when doctors ask me my opinion, and they do often, I'm not bragging about it, I'm just simply saying they do. I'm, I'm the repository of her chart. I am very careful on the speech that I use, particularly with pharmaceuticals. And I will say, in my experience, here's what I witnessed. Historically, this is what we have dealt with, those kinds of terms. Because it takes it out of what I think. What I think is irrelevant. Okay? I don't have the training for this. So when it comes to the pharmaceuticals, and we have, to, we have dealt with a lot of very, very intense and serious pharmaceuticals. In, in our journey. And the last thing that I want to do is to mess this up for Gracie because I am very influential. I can be very convincing. And that's not fair to Gracie and that's not fair to the doctor. And sometimes I can articulate things better than she can. She may be having a bad day. She's in so much pain. She may not be very alert at that time. She may be very sleepy. The doctors come in in the hospital at four o'clock in the morning to do rounds kind of thing. I am usually more articulate about this than she is. But that's irrelevant. They still need to deal with her. They need to give her that opportunity to express what's going on with her. And if she does it poorly, they need to see that. If she does it well, they need to see that. She has agency. And if I get in there and stick my nose into it, invariably it will, it will get kind of weird. So I try very hard to stay out of it and just, I'm, I'm going to just stay with the facts. I write it down. I keep organized with it. Check in, you know, is there something you need for me to do or that kind of thing. But I really don't want to step on anybody's toes with that. I have done this. Again, y'all know this. The whole point of my show is I have failed in every area I'm talking about. Okay, and I've learned, okay, this is this is not this is not a good place down here. Don't go down there. That's a bad place. I've been down there. Now, you're welcome to go down that road if you want and just go ahead and check it out and see what you think. But I'm giving you at least a heads up. 
that those kinds of places are bad places for us as caregivers and for our loved ones. And we can get in some real messes. So to recap, the three P's of dealing with doctors. And remember, most of the doctors we're dealing with are in that category with, with high burnout rates. So let's be kind. And particularly as Christians, let's set the bar a little bit higher. Let's let them know that there's something different about the way we approach crises, conflict, problems, mistakes. Be gracious. Be prepared. Be polite without being subservient. And really put your hand over your mouth with the pharmaceutical conversations other than just you're taking notes and read back to them what you've heard. Make sure that everybody's on the same song sheet. Okay, those are just simple things that can make our life as caregivers a lot easier and make the health care that our loved one is getting a lot more smoother and more effective and being considerate to the physician and all the medical providers that you encounter along the way. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver, hopeforthecaregiver.com. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. We'll see you next time. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. Faith. Fa-